Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. This might seem like an odd way to start an episode on human trafficking, but bear with me, listeners. <laughs> Molly, last week, I felt the need to send you a picture. Well, actually, it was a video mm-hmm. of a cat hugging a teddy bear, which it was, was like, yeah, it was great. It was one of the cutest things I've ever seen. I love cats. Yes. You know that. Yes. I love cats doing adorable things. Yeah. And this was a cat holding a teddy bear. And... You know, I always like to look at cats doing cute things when I'm sure. feeling down. Sure. I think most people, won't, you know, it's an instant pick me up, cute animals and cute things. Yeah. And, and I did this specifically because Molly uh, had put out a request for cute animal photos and videos because she had been in the trenches researching the article, How Human Trafficking Works. Pretty right. intense topic to take on. It is. It was not the happiest two weeks of my life that I spent researching this because the stories that you read, as you might imagine, are so sad. Um, but it's an important issue specifically for our podcast because a lot of people um, associate human trafficking with women mm-hmm. and children. They can be targets for, for this uh, stuff. And actually, Blowing my mind. An hour before we came in to record this, Kristen, we got an email request for this one. So it's an important issue for us to do. I can't promise it's going to be our happiest podcast. Uh, but if in the middle of listening to this podcast, you feel the need to Google kitten holding a teddy bear, <laughs> then you will understand, you know, service Kristen provided for me. But if you uh, think that, oh, human trafficking, this is this is going to be a downer. I'm not going to listen to it. Well, you need to listen to it because of this, people. Today, there are more slaves than there were ever before at any time in human history. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah. I mean, All right. There are a lot of slaves in human history in every country, uh, but they think that right now there's more than ever. And I think that we can all remember like an article we've read about this happening in Cambodia Uh or Thailand or 
places like that. But when I was writing this article, I really chose to focus in on the U.S. Mm -hmm. because it's this huge problem in developed countries as well as developing ones. And so um, basically no country is immune to human trafficking. Pretty much every country either has slaves entering or they have slaves leaving from their shores. So uh, no one's really exempt. Yeah. Including the U.S. In fact, this past year when the U.S. Department of State released their trafficking in persons report, they ranked the U.S. for the first time because they had sort of been like the keeper of the report and they hadn't included themselves. But finally, they're acknowledging, hey, this is a problem in the U.S. as well, and we've got to solve it. But as you might imagine, it's not going to be easy to solve. And maybe that's what's the most depressing thing of all. But we're going to kind of talk about what we know so far about this issue uh, and where we have to go in terms of eradicating it from the earth. Right. And one of the main reasons why it's such a, a tough problem to get at is because it's it's hard to even identify someone who is has been trafficked, who is yeah. a victim of, of human trafficking, because in, if it's labor trafficking, those migrant workers out in the field, hey, they might have been coerced forcibly into this job. They could have been trafficked. You yeah. know, they're out among us and we don't know, you know. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what labor trafficking is, what sex trafficking is, and how it all relates to human trafficking. Those are sort of the two main uh, forms of trafficking is labor and sex trafficking. And sex trafficking gets all the headlines. Right. Because what is more scandalous or salacious and what sells more papers than, uh, you know, the story of a poor girl who was told, hey, I can make you a model. I can make you famous. Or if, you know, she lived in a very poor country, she's like, someone tells her, let's go to the U.S., we'll get you a job in a restaurant, and it'll be great. And Mm -hmm. then they get to, you know, the place they've been promised to go, and they're like, actually, you're going to be a prostitute. All your money will go to me. I'm going to beat you and control you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the stories are horrifying. It's just, you know, so much rape and so much, you know, forced sex. And they threaten these girls that they're going to send uh, the pictures back to their family. And right. the poor families think they're just off living a great life, being a waitress somewhere. Um, but they think that that is not as common as labor trafficking. So as Kristen said, you're passing by fields, uh, restaurant and service industries attract a lot of labor uh, trafficking victims. Also sweatshops, construction, mines, um, and even just h- private homes, a lot of people are, are told they're going to go work as a housekeeper for a right. family. And they do. It's just, you know, they don't earn any money. Right. They won't be paid. They're never allowed to leave the house and they have to do way more than any housekeeper ever does. So it's basically any kind of forced uh, labor, be it sex or actual labor. And, uh, and that's what we're dealing with when we talk about human trafficking. So how do these traffickers, the ones who are doing all of these terrible things to um, to victims. How do they do it? Three main ways. They use force, fraud, and coercion. With force, someone might be kidnapped, mm-hmm. um, taken against their will, and then the fraud aspect comes in by essentially holding the person captive to debt bondage. Especially if you bring someone over to the United States, say, from, from another country, uh, they might force them to have to repay their traveling costs or they give them money up front to lure them into this deal that of course is going to lead them into something terrible. Uh, They have to repay this. And then with coercion, either through threats of physical violence or like you mentioned, taking photos, compromising photos of girls who've been forced into prostitution and saying, we will send these to your family and your family will be shamed because Mm -hmm. of you. Um, Using all of these, not just physical coercion, but also, you know, drawing on uh, cultural issues as well. 
Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, like I said, a person could have said, okay, I want to go with you to be a model. And then they end up as a prostitute, but they think that they've somehow uh, consented to this kind of life. And that's also key to fraud because a lot of these people um, can get blamed sometimes for the situation they get in. Um, or let's say that there's a poor family in a developing country and someone comes to them and says, I can take your son and put him in a really great school and mm-hmm. he can live with a really rich family and he'll have a great life. And the family will consent to that, not knowing that the kid um, is going to end up in, you know, a labor, labor camp sweat, sweatshop. So that's also key to fraud is if you consent originally, you, uh, if, if the, if the deal changes, then it's fraud again, because mm-hmm. a lot of people confuse trafficking with migrant smuggling. And the, one of the key differences there is people who are smuggled agree to be smuggled. Right. It's like, yeah, take me to America. I want to work there. And the person, you know, hides them and gets them across the border. Totally different from trafficking because even if these people are like, yeah, I'll go with you, they don't know what they're going to. And we also should clarify that human trafficking does not have to involve travel. I mean, we often think of it, you know, crossing yeah. borders illegally and things like that. But, um, uh, Nicholas Kristoff from the New York Times, who's done a lot of coverage on human trafficking, uh, notes that in the U.S., American runaways mm-hmm. are the number one target of trafficking in the United States. So they're staying in the U.S., yeah. but they're still victims of human trafficking. And I think that that gets to the problem with why we can't solve it is people don't really know what to look for. And if you do, if you're driving down the road and you see a teenager and mm-hmm. you just assume they're a runaway, you don't think you know further deep down into what you know how they got to where they are. We think that a lot of people who are on the streets or who are at work in this country chose to be there because we all have the option of choosing, you know, where to go to work and where to live and all that stuff. But, um, you know, there was one quote I came across when I was researching this is that a woman said she'd never met a person who was a prostitute who willingly chose to do so. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole, that's an argument for a whole other time. But um, I think in this country, especially we think that people on the streets chose to be there. Mm-hmm. And Kristoff did a really good job of highlighting the fact that, no, trafficking exists within this country of U.S. girls to U.S. men, um, you know, holding them essentially as sex slaves. And it's only been in the past 10 years that the government has really acknowledged this problem, especially within within the United States and also as a, as a global issue mm-hmm. as well, because it wasn't until 2000 that the U.S. passed the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, and that was also the same year that the U.N. passed the Palermo Protocols, which essentially calls on uh, U.N. member countries to fight human trafficking. But again, it's such a tough problem to tackle because it's so hard to even identify who who they are. Right. And you've got to always remember this force, fraud and coercion, because a lot of people are saying, why don't these people just run away? Mm -hmm. And there are times when police will bust up a brothel or, um, you know, bust up an illegal immigration situation and say, you know, what's going on here? And these people, because they're so scared for their lives or their families' lives, are not good about speaking up about, you know, things that they, things that have been done against them that they don't know are illegal. Um, and police aren't trustworthy in every country. So if they have left a country where, uh, police bribes are common, they may not think that the police are people they can trust. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of work going on right now about how police officers in this country can better approach a situation like a brothel bust right. or a sweatshop bust and ask the right questions to help the victims because right now, you know, they're not being found. 
and traffickers aren't being prosecuted. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, our country has spent tons of money trying to find these people. So, you know, why is why is the uh, resources allocated not matching prosecutions and help for victims. Right. And a lot of times it's going to be the, the, the victims, people who've been, you know, forced into prostitution or whatever other type of trafficking, um, they've gotten involved with. They're going to be the ones who are arrested and charged mm-hmm. and not the people who are actually doing the bad stuff. Trafficking is a very low risk, high reward crime. Well, and it reminds me of, uh, this is an issue that's come up recently in here in Georgia, um, where the government's trying to tighten up on sex trafficking just within the state. And yeah, I mean, this is like just on the state level problem, but, um, it's unfortunate that the bill they passed still is going to penalize the girls, mm-hmm. um, rather than just the pimps. Yeah. And it's not saying that I'm, that I'm not arguing that the prostitution should, should not, should go unpunished, but it also creates a chilling effect for girls who might want to get out of it, but they're risking legal trouble for themselves too. It's like they're, it's a catch 22. And the traffickers know that. And so the traffickers will constantly threaten them with, you know, if you tell anyone, I'm not the one who gets in trouble. It's really hard to build a trafficking case right now just because so few have been built in the mm-hmm. past. Uh, but prostitution is a crime. Uh, being in the country illegally, that can get you in trouble. And so, you know, there's there's no incentive really for these people. I mean, yeah, there's huge incentive because their life sucks. But I mean, like the incentive to come forward is not much better than the status quo because, you know, you've been conditioned to live this way. Yeah, I mean, think about the psychological trauma that they have had to live with Um you know, it's, it's not a matter of just walking out the door one day and not coming back. And just to give you an idea to put some numbers around this of, uh, how big of a problem this is and what, how difficult it's been to approach it from a legal standpoint, uh, there are an estimated 12.3 million victims of human trafficking around the world. And that's versus just over 4,000 successful prosecutions. I don't know what the, the time period for that is, but, um, I think 4,000 was one year and 12.3 is total. And, you know, it just, that's, that's an awful fraction. Yeah. And if we narrow it small, if we narrow that down, uh, just to, to New York to give you a better idea from 2007 to 2009, after they passed this, uh, this new human trafficking law, uh, they'd only made in two years, 18 arrests related to human trafficking. That's not including, that's just an arrest. That doesn't, they could have gotten away without a, without a prosecution. Yeah. And you know, that's, that, as soon as you start reading about human trafficking, this issue of numbers comes up because, yeah. uh, in 1999, activists told Congress that it was 50,000 slaves coming into the U.S. every year. And obviously you read, you only have to read like two or three stories of what trafficking involves, be it sex trafficking, labor trafficking, whatever, to get really mad and to want it to end. So obviously Congress took action. They were under a lot of pressure, especially from, um, Christian groups who wanted mm-hmm. to stop this. And that's how we got the Trafficking Victims Protection Act in 2000. And, you know, Bush, as we said, allocated a ton of money to find these slaves. And when they can't find them, people are like, well, how many people are there? I mean, are we not looking in the right places? Do we even need to be looking at all? Maybe this problem is overblown. Um, and it's, it's kind of, I mean, you can't, you can't count modern slaves. Right. If you find them and just try and take a census of them and then leave them alone, then, uh, you know, that's sort of really, Silly. So, um, you know, it's impossible to know how big the problem is. And so people don't know sort of the extent to which we're failing at solving it yeah. 
or the extent to which we're not looking in the right place. Well, it seems like, too, the, that government estimate has dropped pretty significantly down to around 15,000. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I mean, the, the methodology for actually identifying these people is completely flawed. And there's actually an organization called the Vera Institute of Justice that is focusing solely on how to better count human trafficking victims because it's like it's part of solving the problems you have to identify and they don't know how big the problem is yeah but everyone every story is very similar in terms of these people who were you know sucked in with a promise of something Mm -hmm. and then turned into a slave of some sort be a sex slave or a labor slave so you know that's sort of the easy part is finding the tales of that and the hard part is going to be obviously stopping it and so right now what uh the state department with the u.n are using to try and stop this thing is the three P approach. Three P's, prevention, prosecution, and protection. And prevention is maybe the hardest one yeah. to solve <laughs> because in order to prevent, there's one one um, theory that in order to prevent human trafficking from happening, you would need to eradicate poverty. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, a lot of people are, are you know, they are seeking a better life. Yeah. I mean, we are the famed holders of the American dream where through hard work, you can achieve anything. And so that's what these people, these people aren't coming for a free ride. They're coming to work. You know, they're coming to be the waitress or the housekeeper, or whatever. Right. It just turns out to be such a nightmare. So, you know, you'd have to eliminate the situation and the circumstances that would make someone think I should leave this podunk little village and go to America. And make someone, motivate someone to actually do this to people, to run these brothels, because they are making a ton of cash. Yes. I mean, supply and demand. So that's another theory is that some people think we should go, um, we should either legalize prostitution or uh, make it illegal. No one can really decide what's going to cut down on the demand. But right now there is a demand to have sex with young girls. Mm-hmm. So how do we solve that? I mean, and boys. And boys. I mean, it's not an easy question to answer. So prevention is never going to be a simple thing. Yeah, let's eradicate poverty and eliminate the need for an underground sex slave trade. And so you let me know how to do that. <laughs> well, and, and here's another uh, another interesting thing, too. Um, when we think about sex trafficking, especially, we probably imagine these pimps being a bunch of no good rotten men. Mm-hmm. But uh, come to find out, there are actually more female pimps in a third of the countries that where, where human trafficking is the most prevalent. So women are getting in on this game, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think it was one country is Bulgaria, where especially in Eastern Europe, sex trafficking is really a huge problem right now. And the annual salary there is 2300 but a prostitute in that country can make $23,000. Yeah. But, you know, it's so funny. We've talked before about how women are viewed in the developing world and how their their opinions aren't valued as much. And, you know, a lot of people who are exploited for this are people who don't have any value in society until you turn them into a worker for you. Mm-hmm. So it's very sad to see how uh, devaluing of life, particularly if you are a woman or a child, can make your life a living nightmare. So the third P that we haven't touched on is this aspect of protection. Obviously, you want to um, protect people's basic human rights. You want to protect the rights of the victims. You don't want to drive this even more underground um, by, like uh, like we said, setting up so many legal obstacles to them actually getting out, breaking the cycle, mm-hmm. and, um, and getting out of trafficking. Because what often happens in the attempt to protect, the three Ds pop up, which are detention, deportation, and disinformation empowerment, which does nothing to solve the problem. Yeah. If you view the victim of human trafficking as a criminal, then, you know, they tend to be deported. They tend to be um, 
they serve jail time. And uh, often when they're deported, they end up right back with the same traffickers and the traffickers will just send them right back. And it's a vicious cycle. So um, it's really about stopping. And, you know, I think that we've all been guilty of passing, you know, people on the street and thinking, oh, they have no one to blame but themselves. Yeah. And understanding that worldwide, there are a lot of people that we look at like that, that we look at as lower than us or deserving of an awful thing and realizing that they may not be in control of their own situation. And as just everyday folks, you know, we're not, we're not working for the government cracking down on human trafficking. You and I are not yet co-presidents of the United States of America, <laughs> Molly, but there are things that we can do just um, in, in the everyday to help with one of those P's, help with the, with the prevention and the protection, I'd say to some, to some extent. Um, and this comes from a 2008 book by Benjamin Skinner called A Crime So Monstrous. And since we keep relying on, uh, since everything's coming in threes in the this three podcast, P's, three D's, three P's, three D's. And here, how about, well, these don't all have to start Skinner's with three steps. Yes. Skinner's three steps. Thank you, Molly. So he says that people should educate themselves about trafficking. So pat Check. yourself on the back, <laughs> listener, because that's what you're doing right now. If you made it all the way through. Yes. So it helps. Only two more steps to go. Second one, put pressure on elected officials and candidates about what steps they should take to solve the problem. And clearly, since this issue is going on, for instance, in our backyard, Molly, right. mm-hmm. uh, with the Capitol building, a mere, well, that'd be a, a long stone throw, maybe a baseball, <laughs> baseball uh, bat hit away. Go Braves. Um you know, there are things that you can do because this is happening everywhere. This is not just like on a national, federal level problem. And then also support advocacy groups like Free the Slaves and Anti-Slavery International that are working. They're on the front lines, helping the victims, helping people regain their lives, helping prevent, helping protect. And I think just changing your worldview and not looking at this as uh, someone's fault. Right. Uh, to look at people and wonder, are these... People, as one one article I read, are these people walking around in invisible chains? Yeah, and and also remember that poverty piece. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people are just, you know, they're motivated by the same thing we're all motivated by, and that's to put a roof over our heads and food in our mouths, and for that you need money. Well, on that note, should we uh, open it up to our listeners and perhaps read a listener mail? Absolutely, and we will read something that has come into our email address, momstuffathowstuffworks.com. All right, I have one here from Mark, and it's on the Soap Opera podcast. He writes, I thought I would let you know about the soap opera that I watched and have watched since I was a young lad back in the 70s. It's called Coronation Street and has been running in England since 1960. It just celebrated its 50th anniversary, and to commemorate that, the show is aired live. It is not like most of the American soaps that feature over-the-top characters and storylines, but has characters that reflect working-class characters in the north of England. It also features strong female characters, and these have been a mainstay from the inception of the show. It is dealt with many social aspects of life from the beginning and portrays them in a realistic and compassionate manner. I am so passionate about the show that myself and a few of my friends formed an organization to host events for fans of this show. We host four events each year. Our biggest event is in April, where we bring one of the actors or actresses from the show over to Canada for our event. We've been bringing the stars to Canada for the last nine years, and the big event is usually attended by over 700 fans. We just hosted an actress, a Miss Vicky Benz, who plays a character named Molly, and last year our national TV broadcaster, CBC, aired a documentary on the fans of Coronation Street, which featured our group. Very cool. 
Well, I got an email here from Chris in Canada, who says that while growing up on the Canadian prairies, she had a female role model that we had mentioned before and given super, and given the superheroine podcast. Uh, I think she deserves a mention. Villainesses are generally depraved, dressed in black, the whole nine yards, quite evil, but don't even have their own Wikipedia page. How is that possible? They're usually not terribly sophisticated, but enjoy wielding power over others, especially over other women. They aren't generally valued. And that's why I want to bring up Carmen Sandiego. Where in the world is she? Where in the world is that card? God, I loved that game when I was a kid. You've mentioned her before, but I don't think she's done justice. She's a strong, independent, wealthy, intelligent, athletic, resourceful, and wise character, and also well-dressed. That was my aside. Uh, while she's quite dastardly, she isn't violent, and she never looks to put whoever is chasing her in real danger. And if they are in danger, she will help them out of it. She plays the game for personal enjoyment and knows that she has all the cards. She is also not dressed skimpily, but not unattractively. Like every part of her character, she strikes a balance that makes her mysterious. She cannot be in any way portrayed as using her sexuality to her advantage, but she does not try to adopt a male identity or be anything other than what she is. Uh, I hope that you'll do a podcast on villainesses sometimes and give a good mention to Carmen Sandiego because she inspired my love of history and geography, which has irrevocably changed my life. And also note to another podcast on Halloween costumes. Carmen Sandiego is a great Halloween costume That's true. that, you know, anyone can do, but you have to give me credit for it. <laughs> so uh, if you want to email us, our address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. As always, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at momstuffpodcast, and on our blog. Guess what it's called? You're right. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You. And you can also go there to find the fantastic article, companion piece to this episode. The article is titled, How Human Trafficking Works, and it's written by Ms. Molly Edmonds sitting right here across from me. It is... Chock full of information, so head over there. HowStuffWorks.com is your destination. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 